Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 63. Welcome back, Adamantomaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison. Thank you for tuning in today. And today we've got another interesting and very enlightening episode because we've got singer-songwriter Mark Jordan on the podcast. And we tend to have a lot of recording artists on the show, but Mark is not only a singer, but a very important Canadian songwriter. He's written songs for the likes of Diana Ross, Cher, Bette Midler, Chicago, Josh Groban, tons of talented recording artists. To me, the one that stood out so much was he wrote the song Rhythm My Heart, which became an anthem in Rod Stewart's catalog. So lots of insight on these songs. Mark has also battled dyslexia his entire life, which he's only started talking about in the last few years. So imagine being a well-recognized songwriter for all these years and people didn't even know that you could barely read. So really excited for you guys to get some insight into this incredible man's life. I met with Mark right here in my building. Like I said, Mark is also a singer himself, known for songs like Marina Del Rey. He just released a new album called Both Sides, which is a collection of work that includes both originals as well as covers of some of his favorite songs by artists like Lou Reed, Joni Mitchell, The Rolling Stones. Uh, It's incredible. It's also the first time that he's worked with a full symphony. It's a fantastic collection of work. I highly recommend it. And kind of a great summary of what Mark Jordan's career and life has been about. So just a quick reminder before we get into the podcast itself, if you are listening to the Adamantium podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and you don't already, please do hit that subscribe button. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, basically anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow myself and the podcast on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at The Adamantium on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. So, enough jibber-jabber for now. Let's get into today's episode with renowned Canadian singer-songwriter Mark Jordan, right here on episode number 63 of The Adamantium Podcast. I hope you enjoy, and sending you off with some good vibes, I hope you have a happy, productive, and successful week ahead. And thank you again for tuning in today. So we're here with Mark Jordan, singer-songwriter, musician extraordinaire. It's nice <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Thank you again. And like we said, braving the construction yeah. to get to uptown Toronto That's right. these days. Um, lots going on in, in your life these days. Yep. Lots of projects on the go. But most importantly right now, you've just released a new album, yeah. Both Sides. Both Sides. Um, and when I was listening to it and um, kind of reading about it on your website... It kind of seemed like this was more of a personal album for you. In a lot of ways, it is. Uh, I did it. Uh, I've never done a, a record with an orchestra before, mm-hmm. and I've always wanted to sing with an orchestra. My dad was a was a classical singer, and he sang with with orchestras uh, all over North America, and and so I grew up with it. And I I remember, you know those songs and I remember and I, I sort of I guess by osmosis I, I understood how to sing with an orchestra even though I hadn't done it and it's different but it was uh, yeah it was just a um, just a lovely backdrop mm-hmm. to songs you know and what, what made you feel like right now was the right time to make this project because I think it was something that you wanted to do for a little while yeah, um, well, I signed with a new label, and uh, I wanted to put out something that was a little different. And, okay. And um, also, uh, uh, I've also wanted to do cover songs for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I always end up... <coughs> I always end up um, writing everything, normally, but uh, I thought, well, I'll reinterpret Mm-hmm great songs right? yeah 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, that was actually leading to one of my new questions. There is um, some of your original writings in the album, but that does Couple, include yeah. songs like Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now, Rolling Stone's Wild Horses, Lou Reed's Walking on the Wild Side. What, what made these songs fit into this album? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess the thread going through it is, is my voice. Mm -hmm. But we kind of pulled them apart and, and, uh, and reassembled them mm -hmm. in, in a way to make them work with a different instrumentation. And, you know, the, the way Lou Reed did uh, Walk on the Wild Side was very stripped down. And, and we did it pretty stripped down, but, uh, but I, we, we kind of did some sound design and, and, and it's, it's quite filmic. Mm -hmm. uh, the way we do it on the record because there's sound effects and uh, street noise and and uh, yeah so I mean it, you, you're right it's there's a <laughs> very diverse uh, song choice yes you yeah. know, everything from Walk on the Wild Side to uh, The Nearness of You which is Hoagie yeah Carmichael and uh, so that's a pretty <laughs> pretty wide swath through the American but I think that kind of gives um even like a bit of an overlook on your career even because your career's had that kind of yeah. uh, range. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's right, because I, I started I started making records in, um, in California in 1977. So, you know, it was um, much like what was happening on the radio in 1977. Mm -hmm. And then I've continued to make, I've, I've made, I think, as... 18 records maybe and uh, so times change and and uh, recording changes the way you record and so um, you know it's just been a it's just been a a kind of a trip through those 30 years mm -hmm. and I mean 30 30 years of music what what made it about these I mean there's a, there's, there's a good choice of songs on here, but in the grand scheme of things, what made you choose these seven, eight songs that you thought, well, this really works into well, the space? They were songs I could sing, that okay. I knew how to sing. I mean, they, you got to do stuff that you, mm -hmm. can, you can deliver properly. And you, you mentioned they were songs that you kind of grew up on as well. There's exactly. connection with your... your well, the, the, the American songbook stuff. Right. Uh, are definitely... There's, two of those on mm -hmm. the CD and what are you doing for the rest of your life and uh, and the hoagie song um, so those songs I I sort of knew how to deal with them and, and, and when we decided to go with the orchestra mm -hmm. that, that kind of narrows the the field a little bit you mm -hmm. can, can't do everything right. with uh, and pull it off with an orchestra I don't think at least I didn't think so and and so we did stuff that would work with an orchestra, but also stuff that would work with a with a, a cool rhythm section. As right, well. right. Um, and even the, the the original songs, because you mentioned the, again the connection with your father, um, in, in picking these songs, but also the original songs, uh, like I saw you, uh, was written about your wife, mm -hmm. um, and he's gonna break your heart was written for your daughter. Yeah, it's it almost feels like there's a bit of a family theme to the album as well. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, I, mean, I never really thought about that, but uh, yeah, those. So maybe it wasn't intentional, but just no, it wasn't. Kind of, yeah. But again, it kind of adds to that personal kind of touch. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I really like the connection to... Um, it's, it seems like your dad had a lot of influence on your career. He did. Um, he did. He and did. it's funny, when I, it made me think about myself as well. And uh, a lot of my musical love came from my dad as well. Really? My dad loved, loved what music. What kind of music? Well, my dad was a, a rock and roll fan, but more the contemporary style. He was like right. a... He liked the Rolling Stones, but yeah. as for Rolling Stones, for him, it was like Ruby Tuesday was, yeah. was kind of his yeah. jam. Uh, he liked Van Morrison, Rod Stewart. Yeah. Um, but some of my first memories of music, and it's so funny to think back at, like, I was an eight-year-old who loved the Bee Gees, and I was probably the only one in my entire school who even knew the Bee Gees because kids weren't listening to that, you know? I guess. I have fond memories of us... Uh, dancing in the living room of our apartment to Bumbaleo by the Gypsy Kings. <laughs> yeah. Um, a family that dances together, you know. That's it. That's it. So I have very fond memories of, of, of 
of that as well. So I, you know, it's it's interesting to to think everything we do ourselves it still has that originality too. Well, music was so from. so important. Uh, you know, back in the uh, I mean, it still is important, but it, it was uh, important in a different way. Mm-hmm. In the in the fifties and sixties, you know, it was uh, the fifties. You know, it was a, it was it was a new it was a new art form, right? yeah. rock and roll and mm-hmm. blues and stuff, and uh, and then the you know when the Beatles and the Stones uh, started recording that it was uh, there was a kind of a a revolution in a way, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it, it had uh, had a great effect on uh, on politics. Yeah, unlike today, which <laughs> I, I wonder where that that is today well they say I mean uh, you know they always say history repeats itself and um, because you know you had um, in the 90s a lot of kind of protest political music as well you had during the Bush administration as well and you have that uh, there's a great album that came out this year uh, by Gary Clark Jr. called This Land I, I don't know. Oh, uh, you really? get, have you have you heard Gary Clark Jr. before? Yeah, yeah. So he just released. It's it's probably I think it's his best work yet. Wow. And a lot of it is his frustrations with the political atmosphere of the United mm. States right now. Um, so I think I think we might be going through another one of those or heading that way anyways. I hope so. I hope so. Need it. Yeah. Well, I think music is a great way of and actually. That it, I pulled a quote uh, off your website that I liked a lot, um, and it kind of—it's actually kind of a perfect time to say it because of what we've just been speaking about. Um, and it said that one of the great tricks of pop music um, is that no matter how much we like to imagine it's about the musicians' expression, so expressing themselves, it tends to be more useful as a way for listeners to figure out their own identities. Yes. Each song lets us try a new way of being in the world. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that was uh, I thought that was really um, the, a great quote. It just very relevant too. The trick is to leave gaps in the logic, mm-hmm. and when and and then your brain just naturally goes there. Mm-hmm. And 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 all you have to do is push people in a certain direction, and they they begin to explore their their own humanity. Plato said. Um, he was all for censoring music okay. because it was so powerful. Right. And he said that certain rhythms and certain melodies must be censored mm-hmm. because they, uh, I forget exactly what he said, but it, 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 he said it, it, it stirred the blood of, right. of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, basically against government. Right. You know, and... Uh, and uh, it it certainly does. I I did um I did a record many many years ago. And I don't even remember the artist. I did it in East Berlin okay. before the wall went down. Really? Okay. And there was a guy from the government, and he was a rhythm policeman. Really? Yes. And so, what would he do if if it got too funky? He said, "Slow it down, <laughs> uh-uh. stop." Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, really. Yeah, because they were afraid of music. Right. They were the pe- afraid. People react to music. Re- people react to it. And I thought that, sorry, and that quote was by Nichu Abebe of the New York Times. Um, but it made, it always reminded me of, um, you know, you have artists writing a song from, from where it comes from, but then you also always have, you always hear about artists saying, oh, the fans of, you know, I always respond so much to the fans coming and saying, you know, this song did so much for me. Yeah. So it obviously, and it might not even be for the same purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. I learned that the first time I toured. I, people would come up to me and say, well, I like that song, such and such, and because it's about this. Yeah. And it wasn't right. for me. That's how it made me feel. But, but yeah. I, I realized yeah. that people took music and, and then they just went on their own personal journey. Yeah. There was... Um, an album came out last year, a compilation album, which is so rare these days. Mm-hmm. Songs that saved my life, wow. and I thought that was such a great concept. Wow! Because it, it was song. It, it was kind of like these artists each picked a song that, to them, when they were younger, really wow. moved them to. And it, and now it was it was a punk album, but yeah. even still, um, and and it's kind of interesting to see how they reimagined each of the songs. Right. Yeah. That's that. That's great. Yeah, it was really cool. 
Um, so how there there like you mentioned, there's there's a, the, an orchestra involved with. Uh, and many musicians involved mm-hmm. with this album. So how did you decide who was kind of right for the piece? Well, uh, I um, I had a, a wonderful producer, Lou Pamonti, and a ranger. And, uh, so we talked about doing it. when I, I went to him because I wanted to do an orchestral record. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's a terrific arranger, a rhythm section arranger, and we got... You know, wonderful players, and um, we did bed tracks in Toronto, like we did drums, piano, and bass, and uh, Larnell Lewis on drums, and uh, and Mark Rogers on bass, and Lou Monty on uh, piano, and uh, so, and we'd worked out, basically worked out the arrangements mm-hmm. by then, and then we sent that to Prague. Okay. And with click tracks and uh, and then. Uh, so the orchestra was in Prague. Yeah, it was the Prague Symphony, and um, we tie lined them into the studio here, and we could hear you know mm-hmm. half a second later we. You know, yeah, we I know. Mm-hmm. And and you can communicate with the conductor, and uh, so it's just basic. It is like being there. Right. So absolutely. Um, and I mean, over your career, you've had a chance to. Not only work with orchestras, but some of the most, you know, inspiring pop stars, rock and roll stars, um, anyone from Diana Ross, Rod Stewart, Cher, Bette Midler, Chicago, Joshua. The list is is endless mm. almost. Um, when you were writing songs um, that were sung by other artists, were you did you, mostly would you write them for a particular artist, or did you mm. write them and they kind of ended up in their hands? You know, that's a separate talent. Like there were yeah, of course. There were guys. You know, I worked for for a long time uh, between record deals. I would I would, I would work for publishers, mm-hmm. and um, there were guys on staff at at the various publishers that you know if um, whoever. Uh, Madonna was looking for a song and they mm-hmm. said write a Madonna song right but I, I that's a special talent I, I never never really had that but and they knew it so they just told me to write okay and I would always pretend this was the record label yeah, uh, no or this is publisher. the publisher publisher okay the publisher would say just write songs okay and uh, and and I so I always pretended they were for me okay and that's the way I make them truthful. Right. Uh, I can see the song. I can conceptualize it through my own eyes. Mm-hmm. And so um, it would just go into this big pile. And uh, in those days, if an artist, you know, if Cher was looking for a song or gotcha. Rod or whoever, they would they would always go to publishers, and the publishers would cast songs to them. Okay. To them. Interesting, um, and then would you be a part of the recording process or never? Would you no? Okay, never. I, I wasn't. So it's up to completely up to their interpretation. Yeah, like um, when they're big stars, they have their own their own. Yeah, they have their own guys that they work with. So there out of uh, there's there's many many works, but the one I I wanted to pull out and, and ask you about. Again, because it stems from a family. My dad was a big Rod Stewart fan. Mm. So, Rhythm of My Heart. Um, such an, almost an anthemic Rod mm-hmm. Stewart song. Um, how did, do, you, do you know the story of how it ended up with Rod? Because I believe, I think you wrote it. Yeah, yes. Um, I wrote it in, I think, 1983 or four. And then in 1986, a Dutch Elvis impersonator covered it. Okay. And uh, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Really bad. And uh, a Dutch Elvis impersonator. Yeah. Okay. You can imagine that one. Yeah. So. So then it, it what happened is that that Warner Chapel sent the cassette. Right. Uh, to, to their office in London, and, and in fact, they would send it to all the right. the branch uh, offices all over the world, really. 
So a guy named Rob Dickens, who was a brilliant uh, guy, he heard the song, and he thought, this is perfect for Rod, but not now. Okay. Because Rod was still into, uh, do you think I'm sexy? That, right, the, the, the that disco-y kind of, type of Yeah, he was still stage. doing that shit. And um, so he just held on to it. Wow. He put it on the shelf, and like literally six or seven years later, he, he pulled that tape out. And he had, all, he had also become, he was president of Warner Chapel's publishing, and then he became, in London, and then he became president of Warner Records. In right. And Rod was on Warner. And, and then he pulled the tape, he pulled the cassette yeah. for Rod, and Rod, and they phoned me up and said, we're doing it. Wow. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and then it, like now it's like one of his anthems. Yeah. You know, you, you see, uh, you know, there's concert footage with like 40,000 people singing along to it. And yeah. I mean, they're pretty sure they sing it at football match, soccer matches. Yeah. And, you know, like, they did it at the, uh, the uh, Scottish Olympic Games. Yeah. The Queen was there. So did you, I, I mean, I assume you had no idea that it was going to be, become this massive hit. No. No. Yeah, I I didn't, but in fact, in fact, uh, my manager at the time, I I, I went and uh, when I heard he was finished recording, I went, I drove up uh, to his manager's house in Beverly Hills, and I his manager left a cassette, another yeah. cassette for me, in the mailbox. Yeah, he said, yeah, I'll give it to you, and so I played it. I put it in my car on the way down. And yeah. I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Uh, I didn't think it was, I didn't know it was going to be a single at all. And I played for my manager, and he went, ah, that's no good. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because I've, I've seen a couple of videos of you performing yourself as well. And you yeah. still, there's like, there's still a little bit of a different yeah. tweak on it. Well, I've done it differently since, but the demo yeah. was very close to the, Way Rod did it. Okay. okay. I, had a, I had a bagpipe player and everything. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's a whole other wow. story. I wonder. I wonder what the Dutch Elvis impersonator thinks of it now. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder. Yeah, it's I wonder. funny. It's one of those songs too that I remember when I first started listening to Rod Stewart, um, and I remember thinking, "What's what it? What is it?" Because the line I always remember it, it is where where the ocean meets the sky. I'll be sailing, right? Yeah. So I remember always looking up. Sailing was sailing something, but of course he's got the other song called Sailing. Oh, right. and I'd always like this isn't the one. This isn't the one. Ah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so. yeah. I saw Rod last year for the first time, actually. Where was he at? The, uh, the Air Canada Center, oh, yeah. so it's Scotia Bank Arena. Right. Yeah, uh, my parents had gone. My dad, my dad loved Rod Stewart, but my dad, he's from uh, from the north of Ireland. Oh, so and he is a big soccer fanatic, so he would always. He always got a little disgruntled. He loved Rod Stewart, but he always got disgruntled because Rod Stewart's a big uh, Glasgow Celtic yeah. fan, and my dad's a big Glasgow Rangers fan, which uh, is like the uh, biggest rivalry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also I also saw that you in the last little while you started painting as well, became yeah. a visual artist. That's what all old people do. <laughs> so uh, what what made you decide at this at this time that you wanted to start painting? Um. Well, that's a good. That's a good question. I I, I always painted in my head. Mm -hmm. I always had a, an idea. I always loved to draw, and uh, uh, but I never really did. Um, when I was, I mean, I did as a kid, but mm -hmm. nothing, you know. And um, I, I actually, I'm loath to call it painting. Okay. I call it flat music. Flat, okay. Because I'm not really a painter. Mm -hmm. I but it, to me, it's the same part of my brain as I use when I write. Right. Songs. Like songs have shape and design, yep. uh, architecture, light and dark, and composition, and so it's the same. Really, it's the same as writing writing mm -hmm. music for me. Okay, and what 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 type of things do you like to flat flat music? <laughs> well, they're um, they're well, they're abstract. Abstract. You know, okay. They're, uh, I uh, although I have a series of canoes mm -hmm. that I did. Okay. 
sort of little like, landscapes. Well, yeah, but with big red canoes. Okay. Foreground. Okay. And I, I've always loved canoes. I think they're, they're okay. the perfect technology, you know. Okay. And for what they do. Right. And I've I've always loved the shape of them. So, I I do those, and then I do these abstract, and they're sort of instruments, and okay. But they all kind of flow into each other. Gotcha. So when you first when you first decided I'm going to do this, mm. did you just go to the store and start buying supplies? Did you speak to anybody, or you just? I just went to the store and bought some. Bought stores. it and did it. Yeah. Interesting. And I, it's funny you mentioned that that it comes from the same part of your brain because I also when I was uh, you know doing some reading yesterday I read that you had written living in Marina del Rey, having never actually been there, just right. painting a picture of it in your head. Right. I had an idea of what it was. Yeah. And uh, so that's how I kind of, I, I was like, well, painting kind of seems, or... or you know what? I, I, I'm horribly dyslexic. Okay. Uh, I have uh, all my life had trouble understanding what I read. Okay. Had trouble reading. Period, and um, even music, reading music, horrible. Really? Well, yeah, because with my type of dyslexia, anything with a with a ball and a stick, like a G or a D or right. a P or a quarter note or an eighth note, right, or a whole note, they just float around the page. I can't keep them. Right. They just move. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, two things. So. I basically made up my world. Okay. I, I I live in a world of my own creation. Okay. So painting is not Which a is a difficult way to to get through, you know, the system. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, but yeah. I'm not but really in the system. You can do yeah, yeah. I, but I mean even growing up that must have been tough. It was very tough. Yeah, I was school. I was very uh, they were real tough on me at school. The teachers or the students? Teachers. The teachers. Yeah. Because they just thought I was a moron. Right. You know, because I was uh, hiding at the back, and I, I hated... I couldn't do the work. Wow. You know, I knew I was smart, but yeah. I couldn't do the work. Wow. And it was very frustrating. Um, and... and uh, But... Uh, so I... Basically constructed my own, yeah, my own life. So then, what about when it came to signing contracts and stuff? Like, I guess you had to. You worked with a lawyer or something. Yeah, who would I always had people to do yeah. stuff for. Me. I, that know, that was the great thing about the about music business. business. Yeah, in so those days, you had record companies, and there were people that did wow. stuff for you. Yeah, you know, if, like I, I look at my kids now who yeah. are doing music, and they are. They have to do Your kids everything. are musicians as well. Well, they're songwriters and musicians. Yeah. Wow. Singers. And you're what? This, I'm a very musical family. Your wife's very a singer. Very musical. Yeah. 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 Um, so when you were writing music, how were you noting, uh, you know, what the, the, the rhythms? Were you just, well, we were, were just making them, it up. Recording them? Recording and then, them. And then someone else can do it. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, cassette players in those days. Yeah, of course. So and we just it. play it on guitar. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty obvious what had, to, and then we go into the studio with players, and, yeah. and I could figure it out. Could you? Could you write writing music? Yeah, no, or even writing lyrics, or oh no, that that was okay. I mean, you could full yeah. of spelling mistakes, but yeah, I, it's funny because I I I can relate a little bit. I'm not just, but I always had a hard time reading in school. I was a slow reader. Yeah, and I always found it very difficult to keep up with book reports and stuff yeah. like that. But I always loved writing. Loved writing. Interesting. Loved writing stories. Even still, I write for different magazines. Yeah, but that's a different like part that. of your it's brain. It, it is. It is. You know? and people are, well, how can how can you write so much and not one's read inputting it? and one's exporting? Yeah. Right? Yeah, but the same thing. I used to t- I had to take band all through school. Yeah. And I had a horrible time reading music. Well, maybe you haven't. Maybe I do. Maybe I do. But that I ended up playing. I love my my. I, I play the percussion. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. And one of the reasons was it was like one of those ones that you could much easier play by ear rather That's than. Right. And my dad was a drummer. My grandfather was a drummer. Hmm. And uh, hmm. it was I play a little bit of guitar, but it was one of those things where, you know, I had to find 
tabs that were not the balls and sticks, but the right. the numbers of where your fingers went. Yes. Um, but I had a hard time playing by ear, whereas dr- drums came. I was like, play it for me, and I'll play it. The rhythm. The rhythm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's uh, you know that's that sounds to me like a little bit of maybe maybe, maybe it is, mm-hmm. but. Uh, yeah, it was. I, I I can relate. It was awful. I always felt terrible being the last one finished in, <laughs> in class. And yeah. Oh, it was it, it, very humiliating. Mm-hmm. You know why? But it it it, it kind of worked for me in a way because I did take piano lessons. Okay. And um, I, I tricked my teacher. I went to the conservatory. Okay. And I never could read the music. But really. My trick was, I would get my teacher to play the song yeah. for me, last thing in the lesson, and I'd beetle home, and I'd remember it. Remember learned, where her fingers were? And I, I remember the melody of The it. melody, okay. And, and so I could pick through it. Mm-hmm. Again, visual. Yep. Visual in your head. In your, yeah. It's almost, again, like a picture. Yeah. Right. Fascinating, actually. Yep. And it developed my yeah. ear... And you know when I started doing pop music, it, we everybody was making it up. Yeah, there weren't schools. Right, right. There weren't anything that taught you. Write a top forty hit. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Like there are now, but um, there, the, everybody was just making the mm-hmm. shit up. Man. Wow. So that worked for me big time. Wow. Interesting. What about photography? Have you ever mixed around photography or? And not really. Okay. Um, although I, my brother's a photographer. I, I really, I love it. Yeah. I love looking. Yeah, yeah. At images. Okay. Wow. Um, I saw uh, one of your recent uh, Instagram posts. You were working on a musical in New York. Right. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about that, or? Well, it's based on a song of mine called "Lulu the Acrobat." Okay. And. Um, it's about uh, well the I guess the overriding message is that it's about art changing government. Okay. You know, well, sort of what we were, we were talking, talking about, about before. before. Yeah. But but the art is these are circus performers. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it's. Uh, and it, it's it's got elements of circus in it. Okay. So, you know, it's a big production, and uh, it's the same people, uh, same producers as Come From Away. Oh wow! So we'll see. Phenomenal. You yeah. know, we've been working on it for years, but. Uh, and have you guys signed a deal with the theater or anything, or not, working on? No, it? no, we have to. We have to finish writing. It. We're almost done. And then we. And then you go. And you have what's known, I think, what's it called? It's called a uh, 29 hour read, I think. Okay. Where you get all these um, really amazing actors from Broadway. Okay. And they they work for scale and they sit around a table and they learn it. Okay. They learn the music and they read the script. So then you can re- you hear it right? Okay. And um, so we we it's do a that. Musical for hire, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're doing that, I think, in October. Okay. And um, then it's going to go to like um, regional, like small, mm-hmm. away from Broadway, and who knows if it'll ever get to Broadway? But you know, we're gonna. Where they're they're going to put on productions, I think, in Seattle and okay. a couple of places. Have, is this the? Have you worked on a project like this before? This is the first Never. time as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I I I I had this song Lulu the Acrobat. Right. And and when I, was it, when did you write that song? Oh man. In the nineties. Um, okay. And uh, a guy from Mervish Productions heard the record. And he called me up and he said, I, I like this song, Lulu the Acrobat. He says, I think there's a story here. Yeah. Wow. And that was back then, in the 90s. 
Yeah, that's when yeah. it started. And then there was a whole. So at that time, were you because you said the song was about um, uh, basically like cha- protest through art? Mm-hmm. Um, was that was something you were feeling at that time in the nineties? I've always felt that. always felt that way. I've okay. always felt that way. I've always felt art is the engine of change. Okay. And uh, it allows people to see. Uh, in a non-threatening but abstract way, their own truth. Okay. So, what do you think is the the next change that needs to? Well, we gotta get rid of. Uh, uh, yeah. The, the all-powerful all ruler, Trump. Yeah. You know, this guy is uh, unbelievable. Uh, I know. You know, he is all culture. They have to, you know, for the country to work, you have to agree on certain mm-hmm. myths within the culture. Okay. Now, when I was growing up, the myths were were um, beamed at you by ABC, NBC, and CBS, mm-hmm. three networks. So you kind of, and, and the, there was a level of journalism that was pretty good, and you could sort of believe, within reason, you could believe what you were being told. Right. There was, at the root of it, some truth. Right. Um, you may not have gotten the whole story, and you probably never, we never did, but... But at least you could rely, and, and, and people relied, and it held the country together. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're in the digital revolution. There are so many opinions, yeah. so many ways of getting information, so much information that's bullshit, mm-hmm. and it's good information too, but yeah. I'm, there's just so much of it. Remember that, um, you ever see that movie Borat? Of course. Remember when he's going through the supermarket? What is this? That's cheese. Cheese. (laughs) What is this? That's cheese. Yeah. And he just keeps going. Yeah. Well, that's sort of where we are, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of cheese out there, and it's hard to know which one... To choose. To choose. It's the right cheese. Yeah, it's the right cheese. Yeah. So uh, we, uh, you, you know. You've got, you've got certain networks so left-wing and oh some that are God. so right-wing, and it's, it's, it is. It's, and then there's, you know, people choose one, and then they're, they're getting all their information just from one that's heavily that's right. left or heavily right. And so, that's right. And yeah. they, 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 they tailor stuff. There's so much information mm-hmm. on you right. on everybody. Yeah. Frightening concept is... All the news you want to hear, right? Or the news that you're going to like, right? It's exactly. Not, it's not. That's not what it is. No, it shouldn't be. Anything. No, no. So, and I mean, I don't know. It's funny to see it now as an adult because I'm sure it's it's always been that way. Um, but I don't remember, you know, what it was like listening to political networks in the 90s or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, in the 90s I was watching much music and yeah. cartoons, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, uh, th- there was just less stuff coming at you. Yeah. And they had less information on you, so they weren't tailoring stuff to you. Mm-hmm. They were, it was out there. Yeah. You know, just the facts, man. Mm-hmm. So you think art can make, can make a change in, even in the, I think it, the Trump I th- government? I, I, I I think it has to. Yeah. I definitely think you need to listen to This Land I by will. Gary Clark Jr. You will. Yeah. I'm going to do You should. That. You yeah. should. I think you'll really enjoy it, too. I'm write it down before it Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, it, I, I, there's not too much I want to ask, but I, I want to touch also on you. Ha- if you have any film endeavors. I know that you went, uh, you studied film. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm kind of curious, actually, how you um, transitioned from film to music. Well, or why you pursued film in the first place if music was your passion. <laughs> well, I, you know, music was our family business. Gotcha. Okay. It's like my dad, my dad worked in a laundry, had a laundry. I probably would have 
become a tailor or something. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? It was something slightly different. Mm -hmm. So I loved music, but I just wanted to do something that was different than mm -hmm. my dad, I suppose. And uh, I loved film. As we usually do as young men. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I loved film because I'm visual. And um, I thought I could skate through that, you know. But um, <laughs> I went to Brock University, and I had a wonderful teacher there, Maurice Yakawai. I took the film course. So every night I'd be in the uh, library, which is a tower on the south side of Lake Ontario. Okay. In St. Catharines. Okay. The top of the tower is the library. And I could see Toronto <laughs> shining like a... And that's where you want it to be? And I thought, all my friends are in bands in that yeah. city okay. doing music. And that's what I want to do. Gotcha. And it just ate at me. And mm -hmm. So I, I left school. And now, I mean, now the, the film industry's flourished in Toronto as well. Yes. Um, and I noticed you have worked on a couple of films. Yeah. Even acting. And, well, and I, I don't know whether it's acting or... <laughs> <laughs> right. And so do you, do you think you'll pursue any more of that? Because it seems to be you're still, you know, gra like, uh, you know, involving yourself in so many different projects. I'll do anything. Yeah. Okay. I, I like... As long as it's you know spikes your interest. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, How did you get? I, I think the first time you were in the public eye, you were playing guitar for Bobby V. Yeah. How did you get connected with him? Do you know who he is? I, I yeah I do yeah. yeah I don't know a lot but. Well, he was actually a pretty cool guy, but he had these incredibly horrible bubblegum hits, right? And, okay. And that it was a great lesson for me. Yeah, he had a song called Rubber Ball. Okay. I'll come bouncing back to you. And yeah. I can't remember the other ones, but they were crazy bubblegum songs. From the, he was a big star in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Bob Dylan was in his band for a while. He, he's up. Wow, okay. Bobby V came from Fargo or something. Okay. And um, and the, the interesting thing about him was that he, he was his star in the 50s, but he, he was sort of had one foot in the 60s. And just because of it, when he was born, and he wanted to start writing more stuff like the Beatles or the... Okay. But he couldn't. Okay. Because he was locked in, because his audience wouldn't accept that it. from him. Okay. And he was really frustrated. And he would play us songs... Uh, that he'd written that were really fantastic. Huh. But he never... But his they, audience wouldn't accept it. They wouldn't accept it from him. Interesting. He tried, but yeah. they, they didn't work. So that's when you got... You were helping him try and write those songs. No, I wasn't. Oh, okay. I was just playing. Oh, playing, and, playing for him. Sorry, and, yes. Uh, uh, so, but how did you get connected with him? If he's this big star and you're... This guy that's just come well, out of he, Rock University. <laughs> um, he came... When he, I only played with him when he was in Canada. Right. Okay. So he didn't take his band up to Canada, and and I was in a band that was, my it was my first band, and it, we were just playing. It was a cover band. Okay. So we got pretty good. Right. At doing other people's songs. Okay. And and so he needed a band, and some agent said use these guys. And yeah. So we played all the Young Street. Strip, you know, the yeah. bars and the strip joints. And okay, so not even just like that, pretty much anywhere on Young, all right. Pretty, pretty what were much. What were the big spots then? Cock Door and uh, Zanzibar. Right. I didn't know that they had live music in oh, yeah. places like that. Oh, well, yeah. they did then. Now it's just DJs. And they had Go-Go yeah. Girls okay. as well. Yeah. Which were uh, brilliant. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I bet, I bet. And yeah. then, uh, I mean, places like the El Macumbo and all that. If I think you did a, a record in the El Macumbo. I did. Yeah. I used to play there all the time. Yeah. But that was after, after uh, I played with Bobby V. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to do my, and that's when I, I, I you know, I was in uh, 
uh, capiscasin. Mm-hmm. And I dropped acid one night. Okay. <laughs> as we normally as, did. As you do. <laughs> as nor- it was normal in those days. Yeah. <laughs> After the gig. And um, there was always some jerk who had pills, you know, would come up to the band. Right. You guys want a party? (laughs) So, and we always did. It was terrible. I don't recommend it, but that's (laughs) that's what we did in those days. And I ended up, Campus Gason's way north. And I wandered, and I ended up in a farmer's field. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in my satin shirt and velvet pants and and platform boots and um, uh, there were cows and uh, and they were interested in me and they formed a ring around me and I sat down and and uh, God actually spoke to appeared. me appeared okay he appeared to me and he said Mark he knew my name, which is cool. He said, Mark, you got to quit this band and start writing songs yourself. Wow. Go back to Toronto and write songs. I, and I, I thought, that's a very good idea. And I quit the band. Epiphany. And, wow. and, I, and I did. Wow. That's, that's when I started. That is interesting. That's a great story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's phenomenal. And now, uh, here you are. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> From uh, from the from the Zanzibar to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to Campus Casing to the uh, little coffee houses in Toronto. There you go! Wow, phenomenal. Um, the, one of the things I saw that you're working on next is a duet project with yes. your wife, with Amy, yeah. Amy Sky. Yeah. Um, is this the first time you guys are doing something together like this? It's the first time we've done a record together. A record together. Yeah, I'm sure you've done plenty. Yeah. We've done one-off things, and yeah. we've, we've uh, sung together uh, live and stuff, but we've never done a whole. And what kind of um, what kind of material are you guys planning on? Uh, well, we're going to write some, and uh, and then we're going to do the same thing. We're going to mm-hmm. reinterpret. Uh, yeah. Great songs. Okay. The other people. It, originals are a mix, or yeah, a mix, a mix like, of, similar know, to both sides. But. Yeah. But uh, we're gonna do. We're gonna. We're probably gonna do it in Nashville. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's a so, great place to be. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, we work with a guy down there, and he. And uh, it's a, uh, it's a great place to record. Yeah. Do you normally do you normally write with others or on your own? I, I co-write. Mostly. You co-write, okay. Yeah, I used so, to write so everything myself, and then yeah. I got lonely, and, and I needed the input. And so you find you find it a lot more helpful to write yeah. with someone. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and because um, I don't have the burden of doing doing mm-hmm. a, a track, and then I, you know, I work with a musician, and we get something, and then I can go home, and then he works on a little puts a little track together for yeah. me. Um, and uh, then I get that and I I write to that yeah you know it's uh, I lose interest if I I I started out doing everything myself when I was in California I had drum machines and synthesizers and and then one day I realized that I had an idea for a song and four hours later I was obsessing over the snare sound on the... Okay. And the song was gone. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I like to get that track and immediately start working. Right. You know, without... It just makes Does it it ever... You know, what happens? Are you ever, you know, perusing around Toronto and all of a sudden, you know, something comes to you? Yeah. And then do you have to rush to... Um, get it down somewhere, or, I can or would just you hum it, it into my, your phone or yeah, something? Yeah. Hum okay. It my phone. So, what would you do, say, twenty years ago, thirty years ago? Hum it into a cassette player. Okay, but you would carry it around with you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Never went anywhere without it. Yeah, yeah, because you never know when inspiration you know, and, um, strike. Great thing about LA, and the horrible thing about LA <laughs> is you're always in your car. Right. Yes. Yeah. I've heard that. And uh, when you're 
have you ever had the experience of driving and you go, oh, fuck. <laughs> Where did the last 20 minutes go? Where yeah. did the last hour go? I don't even remember it. But I'm driving. Yeah. It's because your brain likes to dream. Mm-hmm. And it can, it can handle the technical thing of driving. But it allows your creative mind to wander side to yeah to yeah. wander and, and create so so I think uh, LA is a great place for that to happen Interesting. I often got ideas in the car in the car yeah yeah you hear that a lot from artists actually that they're driving to work or something yeah they've got their yeah I actually often um, I like to run and I also find that's when I'm bad I find that's when I get some of my most creative thoughts because, like you said, your body can do the moving your legs. The mechanical. Your thing. mind is then it's free from work. Plus you and get all the oxygen. Else. Yes, the endorphins. The and, endorphins. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's what sometimes if I feel stuck, I'll be like, I'll just go for a jog and I'll <laughs> see yeah. if I can work something out. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. Good. So that it's kind of uh, interesting that it kind of now you know I think this album with Amy too it's now it's more tying together the whole family story. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because when I I didn't realize at first, but Amy Amy Sky when I was listening to some of her tracks like when I my when I first started being influenced by music was around the late nineties. Right. So Love Pain the whole damn thing was yeah. on much music all the time. I remember right. like much music was where I learned my yeah. music in, in the, when I was in school. Absolutely. So uh, of course of course I know this song. Anyways. Well Mark, thank you. Thank, thank you very you much for it. coming here. Thank you for spending some time. Thanks for spending all this time. Adamantium.